0: Good morning, it is indeed a joy to be able to stand before you again, my community, my home here in Houston. I think we oftentimes can come into this place and make a joyful noise. But I wonder, as I stand here before you today, do we all feel that way? If you would join me a little bit earlier than normal in a prayer. God, for some of us, our hearts are uplifted. For some of us, this season of thanksgiving is joyful too. Brings light and life to us. God, but right now, we want to lift up some of those folks for whom life is not full of light and full of joy and full of peace. God, we want to acknowledge that in all of our circumstances, you are with us. And that God, in all of our circumstances we don't necessarily recognize that god we ask that you reveal yourself in the words of our mouth the meditations of each and every one of our hearts in the music and in everything that is done here today that it be done for your glory in christ's name amen When? When, Lord? Um, Reverend Michael told you that perplexity was the topic for today, and when a word for today. Perplexity, confusion, not quite turned right side up, doesn't quite make sense. I think another question that Brian McLaren, the writer of naked spirituality, also asks us to look at is what is truth. In our scripture reading today, in the 37th chapter, you'll find these words. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Now, that's the 37th chapter. In the 38th chapter, Christ is talking with Pontius Pilate, and Pilate poses this question. What is truth? I think this conversation that he was having with Jesus in the situation that he found himself, he found himself a little perplexed, and we want to get to that. But I, but I honestly believe that McLaren asked us to ponder that question, to in, to invites us to look at that question throughout every part of this book. In part one, he invites us to look at the experience uh, or, or look at our spirituality and how we know God in light of our experiences. He asks us to look at the events that immediately change the way we look at life. As I read this, and as as McLaren shares, he talks about his own conversion experience when he was a a teenager. And it reminded me of my own experience, and so. I wanna share some of that with you today. I come from a Baptist tradition. I love a lot of aspects of my Baptist tradition. One I don't love is that they don't ordain. My church didn't ordain females. And my relationships would not have been accepted within my own church. I say that acknowledging that there were people who loved me in spite of that, but that they couldn't reconcile who they were and what in their beliefs and who I was. So I left that church. But growing up in that church at 12 year old, years old, I came to what is called the age of accountability. And that's when we all come together. And in my church, we had revival. And that was a time when you come and you seek Christ. You invite Christ into your life. And in, in my church tradition, at the, after the, the preaching, in the middle of the service, they have something that they set up called a, a moaner's bench. Anybody familiar with the moaner's bench? It's where you're invited, and I use that word kind, term kind of loosely, you're invited to come down and sit in front of the whole congregation and they will pray over you and they will entreat you to accept Christ into your life. So at 12 years old, because it's time for me to do it, 11 and a half or something, I come and I sit down and loving people, people who only want the best for me, lay hands on me and pray for me and I sit there going, okay. (laughs) Do it. I'm ready, you can do it, whenever. Yeah. Revival lasts for about a week, and every night I would come, and they would pray, and, and, and honestly, these are long services. Uh, <laughs> you know, two and a half, three hours, and part, a big part of it, an hour or so, is sitting there with people walking around you, and they sing hymns. It's an incredible experience. You should all try it once. So for a week I did this, and absolutely nothing happened. I was devastated. I had done what I was supposed to do. I had gone and sat there. I had said, okay, here I am, God, do it. Isn't that what you do? Come into my life. I want to receive you. Come on, I, I said the words. Why is it not happening? After that week, watching many of my family members and friends and other 12-year-olds uh, receiving Christ, after, you've, after God's done it, then... You don't have to go up there anymore. And then at the end of the week, we had baptism. Now, I am from a small country town, and we would walk down to a creek. I didn't tell the people earlier than this. We'd walk down to a creek, a little muddy creek, and they dunk you. Man, I so appreciate that every day every day I still appreciate being dunked in that muddy creek. and, and because, it, because of the commitment that it took to walk down there, and the commitment that it took for people to join you in that, that became my first community. But I, I, I kind of got ahead of myself. Um, so the next year, I thought I was going to have to wait a whole year. And it really, really weighed on my mind, what am I going to do? How am I going to do this? What happens if I go the next year and the same thing happens? I'm the Pastor's granddaughter, for God's sakes, this has got to happen for me. I'm already in the family, basically. So, Anyway, that's my 12-year-old mind. I don't think that... Well, I might think that way a little bit. Um, Anyway, so... But about three-quarters of the year went by. And one day I was out walking along some property adjacent to my family property, and I was in a meadow. And I looked up at the sky, and it was the bluest I had ever seen it. It was a gorgeous day. And I looked around, and the grass was so green. And I walked by a brook, and I could hear the water rippling over the rocks. And I sat down on this little grassy knoll. And I can see it like it's right here, obviously, or I wouldn't be doing it. And I sat down there, and a peace came over me that I had never known. And I heard a voice saying, I'm right here. And I said, is that you, Jesus? I'm right here. I've been here all the time. It was in that moment, in that instant, that I accepted Christ into my life. That I came to know relationship with God and God's people, and we are all God's people, in a completely different way. I came to know relationship with myself in a completely different way. I think that's what McLaren is describing when he describes his particular conversion experience about the simplicity. I offer that because even though I will never forget that experience, it's just as powerful powerful for me today, it wasn't enough to help me to deal with some of the complexity that would happen later on in my life. Last week, Reverend Christian actually shared about how complexity happens in our lives when these walls go up and we kind of keep ourselves very Closed in and isolated and secluded. And she invited us to drop the rock. I love that. (laughs) Drop the rock. That we're carrying all of these woulda, shoulda, couldas that are heaped upon us or that we take upon ourselves. We carry those with us. So much so that it prevents us from being our authentic, naked selves before God and before each other. And before actually ourselves. So she invited us with a very powerful testimony about her own life and gave us an example of how she dropped the rock so that she could hear God's voice saying, you are my beloved child. I love you. So that she could hear Romans 8, 38 for nothing. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else will ever separate you from me, from my love through Christ Jesus. What a wonderful affirmation that every day you can take it. And I take it every day and say that in my mind and in my spirit. But today I want to ask another question. What is that truth when there's no evidence of truth? When everything that is happening around you says God's not there. You know, when sickness, dare I say, when cancer enters our lives when we lose loved ones, when grief overtakes us, our heart and our spirit, when relationships end, when we lose jobs, any myriad of circumstances, or just when it doesn't feel right. What is that truth when the void is so vast that we can't find our way? As I look in that mirror, that's, that's what I see, how unclear the image of who, the, the, how unclear the reflection is. What happens when we experience, our experiences are there? I think that's what Pilate is asking in this question when he says, what is truth? I have an awareness of who I am but that's been offered to me by all these people, but I see you, and you have something different. What is that different thing that you have? In my life right now, I, hear Pilate, I, hear, I can hear Pilate say, in my life right now, truth doesn't mean a hill of beans. I'm some flunky with supposed power, but look at where I am and look at what I'm called to do. I also hear that Pilate has the opportunity to, 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 to hear what Christ is saying to him. And he chooses a completely different way. Maybe because those walls that had been built up and that that understanding of who he is is so powerful, he just can't let it go. But for some reason, he pushes Christ back out to the crowd and says, I want nothing to do with this man. You decide. I want to talk about another person within the Bible that takes a different approach. That person is Job. Uh, do you know the story of Job? No. No. <laughs> all, too well? all too well? Oh. Anybody else say all too well? Because Job's life was going so good. He had everything that he needed. And then, for whatever reason, I'm not going to go into it. But, but then, everything flips upside down. So much so he can't even understand Job had been a righteous, upright man, had been very rich, and all of a sudden he was ill. He lost all of his family except his wife. He lost his land, his cattle. His friends are standing around going, wonder what Job did. So much so they go to him and say, what did you do? You must have done something. God would not do this if you had not done something. And Job sticks by his conviction that he's innocent, that he hadn't done anything. Job is talking to a friend, and he, his friend says, well, this is what you do. You just, just say you did it. Job said, I can't do that. If only I knew where to find God, if only I could go to God's dwelling, I would state my case before God and fill my mouth with argument. I would find out what he would answer me. And consider what she would say to me. Would God vigorously oppose me? No. She would not press charges against me. There the upright can establish their innocence before God. And there I would be delivered forever from my judge. Job's different approach says, I've got an investment in this. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. I go to north, south, east, and west, and I can't find God, but I know that God knows me. And so I will stay hopeful. Now that didn't sound very hopeful, but I will stay hopeful. I will continue to seek. I will continue to press my way to where I can find God so that I can state my case. For Job, it was that I have a right. I have done nothing wrong. I have a right to the blessing of God. Sometimes I wonder, I think about these stories, and I think, are they in our lives? Do we have these experiences? I mean, we sit in here and it seems very comfortable, but I wonder within our individual lives and in our life as a community if we have some of these experiences. And I believe so. I believe MCC, when it started with 12 people in uh, California, in Reverend Perry's house, where he put all his information out there for the whole world to see, Mm -hmm. that those 12 people were having some of these Job-type experiences. I'm pretty sure, no, I'm not sure, I know for sure, that in the 80s and the 90s, when we were burying more people than we were bringing in for worship, that we were having a Job-like experience. When there was no evidence that we were a community that could come together and be co- cohesive and celebrate the love of God in each of our lives and in our lives as a people, that that was a Job experience. I think some of the small churches that are suffering today are also experiencing a Job, and maybe some of the large churches are experiencing Job experience. When we were burying in the eighties and nineties more people than we were bringing in for worship, what did that feel like? When there was no evidence, when people were saying, "Look at those queer people playing church—they're blaspheming against God." Where is the evidence? When nobody supported us, nobody was part of our community. I think much like job those people that were that we now stand on their shoulders and are able to to be in community know what job felt well what are you saying pastor mmm that was a slip of the tongue what do you think what I'm saying is in our own life each and every day, we may face emptiness, void, darkness. And we may try to be strong and say, I can hold up. But I invite you to ask some of the questions that were asked today. When? God, how long do I have to be in this situation? How long will I be walking in darkness? How long before I can feel your very presence in my life again? I remember, I think I remember, maybe I was fooling myself, but I think I remember what it felt like to know the presence of God. So when, God, when will you come back into my life? Where did you go? But also why? When I'm in the hospital and I visit with patients, um, that question comes out a lot. Why God? And I have absolutely, I will tell you, no answer. But I sit down with people and they tell me their stories. And sometimes in those stories they find answers. And to be honest with you, sometimes they don't. But they become naked in ways you never could have imagined as they have tubes running in and out of them, and as they deal with the way their life's been turned upside down, they become naked and say, Why? Why, God? Why have you forsaken me? Much like Christ did on the cross. But they give, they tell these stories that are life-changing. And that's where I find the why. Like the people within MCC, 20, 30, 40 years ago, 44 years ago, when they went to that first meeting or when they kept opening the doors in light of people saying, you're not a church, and when even after firebombs and death threats were levied against them, they kept coming and they kept coming and we kept coming and opening the doors. Just like that. It was that we could meet, I believe, in a space like this. They had no concept of what would happen. They had no idea that it wouldn't just keep happening and keep happening and they would have to keep building and it would keep being torn down. But look where we are. Look how we can worship God openly. Look how lives are being changed. Look how community outside of these walls is being touched by God's love. These people live and experience the very desolate times so that we might live and sing the joy of God's love in our lives. I wonder if for us if there's a call to desolation, a call to perplexity and I wonder how we will respond. Will we say when? Will we stay open to that question? Will we stay open to the question of where and why? And then also, will we take our fists sometimes and rail at God and say, no, this isn't what I signed up for? God can take it. Do you believe that? Do you believe God can hear our anger and our frustrations and our needs? I believe he can. I believe further in the book of Job, it talks about how Job was vindicated before his friends by God when he said, You can ask the questions. You don't necessarily get answers because God also said, Where were you when I created the earth? But feel free to ask the questions. It's within your right to ask the questions. So I invite you, in the times when you feel challenged, when you feel broken, when you feel like God's not even listening, stay in the quest.